0: How is Gen AI impacting the tax function? Here are some thoughts from EY and Real-Time Insights.
1: The best way I can analogize, if you think back to 30 years ago with spreadsheets, at that point in time, most tax planning and processes were done with a pencil, paper, and a calculator. But everyone thought that was going to remove the need for tax professionals. The reality is that they learned how to code spreadsheets. They learned how to build better business insights, worse scenarios. And years and years later, there's more tax jobs than ever. And so we see AI as having the same impact. Learn more at EY.com.
2: welcome to another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. Unfortunately for everyone involved, it's just me here today. Tracy Alloway has smartly decided to go on vacation, something that I probably should have done, but whatever. The good news is I have two great guests in the studio with me today, and we're going to be talking about some of our favorite market themes and stories from 2017 which was a fascinating year. So no real reason to have a whole lot of banter from me in the beginning. I'll bring in our guests. I'd like to uh, bring in uh, Chris Nagy. He is a markets editor here at Bloomberg. Hello Hello, Chris. And Matt Bosler, who is an economics reporter here at Bloomberg. Hey Joe. And so between the two of them, I would hope to have a discussion, uh, picking their brains about what we really learned and what we really saw in 2017. Let me start with you. What was, in your view, the big story of
1: the year? It's hard to be a stock market editor this year and not (laughs) feel like the big overriding presence of 2017 was the way the lack of volatility interacted with both the political scene and just the propensity of stocks to continually go up all year. I mean, it's a little... It's somewhat of a dead horse at this point, but I mean, that's what this year will be remembered for. People just basically getting angry at the market, basically, for not being more chaotic, not registering more of the sort of political effect I think everyone else was feeling.
2: I'm glad you brought that up because, of course, this is something that Tracy and I talk a lot about on the show, the frustration that we feel as people who cover markets You know, we have these conversations every morning. I was like, what's our top story of the day? It's like, well, it's the same top story as it was (laughs) yesterday. And not only was it the same top story as yesterday, no one really cared about it either. I mean, especially like for years and years after the crisis, like markets were the story and everyone was clicking on our stories. And this year it's like, yeah, Matt, you cover like the fixed income space a lot. It sort of crosses over with your eco beat. Is it a similar vibe in terms of the lack of volatility or how do you see the same thing?
0: So we had two Fed presidents just this morning on Bloomberg TV talking about, you know, how they're looking at the flattening of the yield curve. And that's been a really reliable recession indicator in the past. And and so that's something that has them concerned. And so, you know, to some extent, it's the same story playing out in the fixed income markets of very low volatility, yield curve flattening. But instead of, you know, being sort of this benign, boring thing, it's actually causing a bunch of people to talk about is there a recession around the corner type of thing?
2: And for all this recession talk, Chris, like it's still like no stock investors actually seem to care about it.
0: About the
1: possibility of a recession, yeah. Or
2: about the flattening, like these things oh, right. that would, like, at what one point maybe have seen like red flags,
1: right? Like everything else, they don't care about the yield curve. There's, <laughs> you would have a hard time right. naming anything that they did care about this year. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, actually, Matt, for our listeners who aren't steeped in this, you know, we talk about the flattening yield curve a lot and how it's a classic recession indicator when it inverts. Can you give like the thirty-second explanation? of what it is that people look out for. What is the flattening yield curve and why is it seen as something that potentially raises uh, alarm bells?
0: Sure, so that... The yield curve is the difference between long-term interest rates and short-term interest rates, right? And so short-term interest rates are kind of set by the Federal Reserve, the central bank, and long-term interest rates are kind of a reflection of where people think the central bank is ultimately going to take the short-term interest rates. And so we're in a situation where the Fed is raising rates and you know they're telling you that they're going to go to this more neutral level of interest rates. And so the yield curve is flattening as short-term interest rates rise and get to that level of long term interest rates. Now, in the past, that's tended to be a pretty good recession indicator, just perhaps because the business cycle has tended to be of a similar length as the central bank's tightening cycle. And uh, so there's a bit of a you know correlation causation question there. Does the yield curve really reflect anything intrinsic about the probability of a recession? Or is it just that the central bank tends to raise interest rates over the course of an economic cycle and then the economic cycle invariably ends at some
2: point? So stock investors don't, or equity investors, or maybe no investors seem to care about that. Something else that you mentioned, Chris, in the beginning that we obviously have to talk about is not only are there sort of like no concerns about anything economics, but politics, absolutely extraordinary year for politics, geopolitics, all these elections that went on. And you would think that there would be some feedback loop or somehow that would be reflected. But as you said, Nobody seems to care. Why does nobody care?
1: So if we're talking about our like literal favorite stories of the last 12 months, one story that I remember, and really everyone who works for me remembers because I bring it up about every other day, was a blog post by Macroman Cameron Christ, in the MLive uh, blog, where he took some of these alleged political chaos indexes that exist, uh, these sort of academic, Mm. these things that are pieced together. He he took one of those, and a standard story for the first half of 2017 was look how they're going up and look how the VIX is going down and basically this cannot stand. And, And so he took the political disorder index and he decomposed it, he unpacked it, and found out what all of its components were. And part of it was policy guidance in China and some economic stuff in China, which he was like, makes sense. That's pretty volatile, you can see why it's going up. Plurality of it it was, was hilariously, were media mentions of oh. political disorder, basically. I, so it's this big sort of the, echo chamber.
2: I was worried that it was gonna go there because then of course that always makes me, <laughs> right. make, should make all of us feel guilty. Right. Hen, like, hence me like, how we, we talk about this political volatility all, and all this stuff going on, how much is just us talking about it? Yeah,
1: there is this echo chamber aspect. To it. I don't think a, I, don't, I think it's all unsurprising and basically forgivable. Like what else is a news right. person you're gonna talk about in 2017?
2: Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I think the truth is that my view is the way it seems like is there's one story, and we all know what it is, and it's everything having to do with Trump. And there's no second story. Yeah. and if for a for people who are interested in the news and reporting, uh, it's not ideal.
1: Well, it's just it's unavoidable. There's just no no getting around but, getting away from it.
2: But one thing that like, in terms of what drove this market, and Matt, I know you've, you know, coming from the eco perspective is, All this noise aside, yield curve aside, politics aside, things are good. Like around the world, we talked about global synchronous growth. Like things are pretty good, right? Yeah, exactly. And it kind of
0: goes back to the point, you know, you look at this flattening yield curve and it's supposed to be this recession indicator. But like you say, things look pretty good. And it's kind of hard looking around to see, you know, where that recession is going to come from. So I think it's it's more of these old narratives being busted, which we've been dealing with a lot this year and over the past few years.
2: And earnings have been really good.
0: Yeah, another pretty good story
1: that my team did during one of Trump's tweet fests about how great the Dow is was to look at how earnings estimates had evolved in 2017. And you can make a pretty good case that what happened was that the earnings estimates that existed before election day were matched, where you got to, there were about 100, 130 bucks a share on the S&P, that was the estimate before election day and that's pretty much mm. what happened. So did Trump cause that? I mean, you can certainly say he didn't get in the way of those being right. hit, but earnings growth, however you frame it, was strong and the backbone of the rally. All
2: right, so for as much as we'd like to uh, talk about how the markets ignored everything on an economic basis and an earnings basis, things were pretty good. How are tech committees impacting how financial services firms manage gen ai risk here are some thoughts from ey companies are establishing these tech committees to better manage risk
1: but when you look at those 67 companies just the s p 500 figure the 67 companies that have a tech committee based on the latest proxy in existence of june of this year Those companies' financial performance outperform the NASDAQ composite, the New York Stock Exchange composite, and the S&P 500. Is that causation? Is it correlation? I'm not so sure, but that's a big enough sample size to make the point that companies are establishing tech committees to manage risk, but also very well may realize some financial performance there too. Learn more at
2: EY.com. Matt, from the economic world, what was your favorite story of 2017? So I think my
0: favorite story of 2017 had to be just kind of the biggest story on our beat as well, which was this surprise shortfall in inflation, because everybody Uh, thought that inflation was going to continue going up this year because the labor market was getting tight and the unemployment rate was falling. And there's just been so much hand-wringing in the economics community this year over the fact that this relationship for some reason didn't hold up. And the reason why it's so interesting is it's kind of leading to all of these different theories, but you have this sort of protagonist in the Fed at the center of the story, which is sticking to its guns, but also kind of telling us, kind of looking forward to next year, next year, if things don't get back on track with inflation the way that we think they should then we might have to have a rethink.
2: So you mentioned there's all these different theories for why inflation hasn't picked up the way people expect. Various people have called this the inflation mystery. And do you have a favorite theory for why we haven't seen inflation?
0: Well, I mean, I think if you just look at the data, what we're seeing is a a slowdown in rental inflation, which is Mm. really always kind of the key component in inflation. And so... That is an interesting story because a lot of the uh, sort of buildup in sort of the residential sector that we've seen in this expansion has been in apartments, right? The home ownership rate coming down, people moving into cities, being renters more than owners. And so that's going to be a very interesting thing to see if that continues in 2018 or if we start to see, you know, some more home ownership going back up.
2: And Chris, this lack of inflation, while it may cause people at the Fed to wonder about their models, and it may cause a lot of economist anxiety. Investors have loved it, because this just is just like the Goldilocks story, Well, right?
1: absolutely. I mean, anything that results in the Fed holding interest rates where they are, I think they're happy about. If you look at, like, reasonable people can disagree about Trump's impact on the market, I think it's very hard to argue that 1% interest rates haven't been a great thing for stock investors. So as long as inflation hasn't been a threat, they've been able to maintain that.
2: Are there any signs, Matt, that inflation is actually going to turn around? Because it's not just this year that people have thought it was going to come. People have been warning about inflation literally forever. It seems like in theory, there might eventually they might be right, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they eventually might be. But to answer your question, no, there aren't really any signs that it's necessarily going to pick up when you look at the inflation data itself. And so, you know, we have all of these indicators that we used to use to forecast inflation that, worked better than they are now. And so it's kind of a wide open question as to whether they'll work again.
2: Yeah. And so this gets to the key question. How much is the economics community really preparing to sort of just rip up the old models? Or like, are are they really willing to take that step and say, we don't know?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I don't, you know, looking at what they have been working on, it's not clear that they have really a ready replacement that's going to be ready in six or 12 months time. So I think they're kind of really hoping against hope that things start to work out again the way that they used to, or else it's it, there's going to be exponentially more hand-wringing, potentially.
2: It does feel like if we get to this point next year and there's like no inflation in 2018, things are going to start to become really untenable for
0: people. Yeah, it's already starting to sink in a little bit in that you see Fed policymakers starting to come up with their own unorthodox theories mm. of inflation. But you know, as yet, n- no real economic work has been done on it. So it's just kind of hearsay at the moment, I guess.
2: All right. Well, Chris and Matt, it was uh, great to have you on this episode talking about the big themes for 2017, the extraordinary lack of volatility, the flattening yield curve, the incredible lack of inflation, despite economists and Fed all predicting it would pick up. Really appreciate you both coming out. Thanks. Thank you. And that has been our wrap-up episode for 2017, the big themes in markets and economics. And stay tuned next week where we're going to be talking to Chris and uh, Matt about what to watch for in 2018. And you can follow our guests on Twitter, Chris Nagy at ChrisNagy1 and Matt Boesler at Boes, B-O-E-S underscore. And myself, Jill Weisenthal on Twitter at The Stalwart. And even though Tracy is not here, you can follow her at Tracy Alray. Thanks for listening. Hey there, it's Tracy Alloway. And Jill Weisenthal. We are the co-hosts of the Odd Thoughts podcast, and we want to tell you about a new podcast and video series you are not going to want to miss. The Deal, co-hosted by Yankees legend Alex Rodriguez. Every week, A-Rod and Bloomberg reporter Jason Kelly speak with big-time athletes, entertainers, and executives. Like Maria Sharapova, Michael Strahan, Derek Jeter, and more. The Deal takes you behind the scenes into the world of sports, media, and entertainment. And dives into the wins, losses, and lessons learned along the way. From Bloomberg Podcasts and Bloomberg Originals, you can listen to The Deal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch it on Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Originals on YouTube.